Welcome to episode 15 of Necronominom. We're your hosts, Jenna and Matt, and today we're going to be talking about the 1996 film Scream. We're going to examine the inspiration behind the screenplay and some behind-the-scenes trivia, and we're also going to discuss some copycat killers who were inspired by the film. This is one of our favorite films, I think. We would both agree. It definitely holds a soft spot in my heart yeah. because of when it came out. Right. It came out when I was a teenager. I saw it at the movies. It mm-hmm. was one of the first horror films that I saw at the movies because here in Australia, we didn't really get a whole lot of those. And it just kind of... You might say, kicked off my love of the genre, in a way. There will be spoilers in this episode. This movie's 20 years old. I mean, (laughs) if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you've seen Scream. If you haven't, I mean, definitely go see it. It, In in fact, if you've seen a lot of horror films, you'll get more out of this one. It's very kind of 90s teen movie horror. It was written by Kevin Williamson, who also wrote Dawson's Creek. (laughs) So that that should give you a a little bit of insight into... (laughs) He's also written uh, The Vampire Diaries, mm-hmm. or currently writing The Vampire Diaries. Uh, yeah. And he wrote, also wrote another film that you're probably familiar with if you're familiar with Scream, and that's I Know What You Did Last Summer. But he, he did both of them. It's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of a 90s horror icon. A 90s horror and drama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I never watched much of Dawson's Creek, I'll be honest. Well, I did. It's not horror. <laughs> I can tell you that. No, no. We're not going to review that on here. <laughs> no. But. <laughs> um, this was directed by Wes Craven, who is amazing. Yeah, he probably needs no introduction. However, here's one anyway. He directed uh, Last House on the Left. That is one of my favorites, I think. Last House yeah. on the Left. Yeah, it's a classic. Uh, well, all of his films are classics, really. Mm. Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes, he did, which has uh, been remade fairly recently as well. Uh, well, he, sadly, he's passed away now, I believe. Uh, just last year, yeah. Yeah. In the horror genre, he is like one of the top names. He's definitely an icon. And this was kind of a comeback of, of sorts for him, mm. Scream. Mm-hmm. Oh, for, for the whole genre, but we'll get to that. <laughs> the f- score was composed by Marco Beltrami, who you may know. He um, often works with Guillermo del Toro. He's done all four Scream films. He did Mimic, uh, The Faculty, which is another classic from the 90s. And he did Resident Evil with Marilyn Manson, um, which was quite iconic at the time because it was very new metal-y mixed with kind of film score stuff. For Scream, it's uh, kind of renowned because he didn't do it in the typical horror film style. He took inspiration from Westerns and um, Ennio Morricone. Oh, yeah. From uh, Hateful Eight. Who did the Hateful Eight, yeah. Mm. And in a lot of Westerns. Yeah, of course. (laughs) It's a proper film score... In the, it's not super noticeable, but you recognize it when you hear it. Like, uh, you know, a lot of films these days have big scores that are like almost attention grabbing. This is a classic. Even even just having watched it, when I try to think of some of the music from the film, all I can really think of is Nick Cave. Uh-huh. They play Red Right Hand a few times. And there's a cover of um, Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Don't Fear the Reaper. Don't in Fear there. the Reaper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, the score, if, if you heard it, you would recognize it, I believe. It is familiar, but it's not overpowering. It's yeah. Good score. Uh, it's got an all-star cast, which totally I guess helped does. it. does. <laughs> Even at, at the, the time, time, it was an all-star cast. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which yeah. was a different thing for horror films. Usually they would go with uh, not really no names, but kind of low-level actors. Yeah, B-grade. Mm. Whereas, the, yeah, this had some big stars and, uh, and some surprises in casting too, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. It stars David Arquette as Deputy Dewey. 
Um, this is one of the few things I've seen David Arquette in, if he's I'm honest. He's so good in this. He's fantastic in it. Like my favorite scene is, um, it's just a scene, you know, when, when the killer has been on the phone mm-hmm. and, um, and he, just picks, he picks up the phone and he says, hello, and he's holding his gun. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I think my favorite scene with him is um, when he meets his his superior, his the sheriff, I guess. Oh, yeah. Outside of the police station. And the sheriff is out there smoking and looking really serious. And Dewey is like eating some ice cream, eating an ice cream cone. He's got this little tiny ice cream cone he's eating. And it's just, it's a great metaphor for how like young and inexperienced he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great character in this. Obviously stars Nev Campbell. This is one of the few things I've seen her in as well. Um, Mm -hmm. She's great in this. She's kind of the icon of Scream. She's the the figurehead of Scream. Yeah, of... Of all of them. Exactly, yeah. All four movies. Um, she's great in this. It's kind of her signature role, I would say. I never watched Party of Five, so I wasn't familiar with her beforehand. Um, but I think she's mostly known for this now. Yep. Courtney Cox, who I think most people would be familiar with from Friends. Yeah, this was her kind of breakaway from that nice, mm. friendly character. Yeah, she did a good job. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's kind of hateful in this. Yeah. But then a- also likable because of how much she helps out yeah she's like selfish and uh and kind of a bitch but she does come good most of the time yeah and this film actually is where david arquette and courtney cox met on set um Mm. and married from 2002 2010 so in scream 4 when they have that estrangement between them Mm -hmm. it's kind of (laughs) true they're still friends after the divorce they are still friends but at the time of filming scream 4 they they were not together anymore. Yeah, awkward. Mm. <laughs> Those stories always seem like they would be awkward when um, couples have to reunite for a film. Yep. Especially if they're if they're together in a film. That would be very awkward. There was another uh, romance on the set of Scream, and that mm. was between Nev Campbell and Matthew Lillard, who plays Stu. Mm. They only dated for two years, but it's still... It's a cute story that everybody kind of hooked up. This might have been the first thing I saw Matthew Lillard in as well. Actually, no, that's not true. Hackers. Hackers oh, was yeah, uh, yep. a bit before this. And, um, Matthew Lillard is great. He's SLC so weird. Punk? Oh, yeah, right. He's so weird. Like, you need a very specific character if you want Matthew Lillard, I think. Like, he's the character is Matthew Lillard. I, I know, yeah. I miss <laughs> he's not super versatile, but he's like, he's unique. He's uh, he's cool. He, but yeah, he plays Stu. He's kind of besties with Billy, who uh, is played by Skeet Ulrich. Who and is I don't Sydney's know. boyfriend. Right, and I don't know I've seen, if I've seen Skeet Ulrich in much else either. No, they they cast him because he looked like a young Johnny Depp. Right, okay. Yeah, I can see that. But I'm not sure what else what else he's done. He was in The Craft, uh, which Nev Campbell was also in. Yep, which uh, came which out is, the same year. Yeah, um, and he's also featured in the South Park movie as a poster on Satan's bedroom wall. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if you recall. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rose McGowan as Tatum, Sydney's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, she's great in this. I think might be she my is. favorite. I really role like of hers. Rose McGowan. Yeah, I do, again, I haven't seen her in too much. I've seen we watched um, Jawbreaker recently, and she was good in that. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't seen her in a, in a lot. I didn't watch Charmed at all. You've seen ever. Planet Terror, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, Actually, she's yeah. Terrific Sorry. in that. Yeah, she's great in that. You know what? Maybe I've maybe I've done a wrong, done her own mischief. <laughs> maybe she is good, and I've just been a dick. <laughs> A big name at the time was Drew Barrymore. Mm. Um, she plays Casey, who is 
spoilers, killed off in the first scene. Yep. She was probably a surprise for people who saw her on the poster. Exactly. She's like front and center on the poster. So to kill her off was kind of the the writer-director's way of saying no one is safe. Mm. Like even even the big stars will die. So she actually suggested that she play that role. She was originally supposed to play Sydney, but due to scheduling conflicts, she wasn't able to do it anymore. And she suggested, what if I play Casey? And then mm. like it, it would be kind of cool if a if a big name died right away. Yeah, it's a cool gag, or not gag, but, you know, trick, because you, you go, oh, it looked Drew Barrymore, and she's dead. Okay. <laughs> and to round off the cast, we have my favorite, <laughs> Jamie Kennedy as Randy. <laughs> I, I actually named my childhood dog after him, after this character. Yeah, Randy. Yeah. I, um, I'm not sure if I'm, my family knows that, guys. That's why I suggested that name. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm sure I've, I haven't seen Jamie Kennedy in anything except Scream. I know that he had a television show, but I've never seen it. Did he? Yeah, he had a TV show called The Jamie Kennedy Experiment. Uh, it was kind of, I think it was kind of goofy sketches and pranks and stuff. You know, I, I haven't actually watched it. I think it was sort of like a Tom Green kind of show, but oh, I don't know really? for sure. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Okay. But I've never seen it. And yeah, I think this is the only film I've ever seen him in. Well, he does some stand-up. Sorry, and, um, this and, and I've seen him too. in Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh, it was a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- this and the, and the sequel, obviously, I've seen him in as well. Mm-hmm. And he was my favorite character at the time when I when I first saw it. Was he? Because he scream. Yeah, because he's like he, he's the me in the film. Yeah, exactly. I think that's why I liked him too. Because he's the one that's like we play by the rules and I, yeah, like horror movies are all the same. There are all these tropes, and this is what they go by. It's great. Yeah, he's like this is a horror film. I know how this works. Yeah, that's his role in it. He's almost like a narrator who's been put in the film. That's the it's the cast. Uh, it's all. I mean, um, what's his name is in there as well. The Fonz. I can't remember. Henry his name. Winkler. Henry Winkler shows up as the school principal as well. Yeah, there's a there's a great little um kind of Easter egg where he goes through his closet and you can see his leather jacket, the Fawn's leather jacket, <laughs> hanging up in there. Yeah, there's a lot of cool little cameos and stuff. There there were more and more of them in the sequels as well. Mm. It just kind of continued and snowballed. So Scream is about Sydney Prescott. She's the main character, and one year after her mother is murdered, uh, under obviously mysterious circumstances um she is targeted herself sydney is targeted um by a killer who has a very broad knowledge of horror films and uses that as kind of a gimmick in 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 the murders so um the opening as we mentioned shows uh drew barrymore's character being murdered that's kind of a setup i don't know how related that is to the to the plot technically no i mean it fits in because they do mention some connections between the killers and her, very loose mm. connections, but also I think it was just kind of a way to test out yes. their plan to stalk and kill Sydney. It sets up the killer very well. And it sets up the tension in the film. Right. Yeah. And so after that, shortly after that, the killer um, comes after Sydney. And, uh, and that's kind of what most of the film is about. Uh, other people die collaterally <laughs> mm-hmm. but sydney is the prize but really for a slasher film there aren't that many deaths in this um, no that's there true. were only about seven I, th- mm. I believe and one of them um who is as we said guys we are going to be giving out spoilers yes one of them <laughs> henry winkler the the principal mm. was only thrown in because they realized that they had gone about half an hour without having any on-screen deaths <laughs> so they just killed him off and then later on realized that it had worked out perfectly because they needed some reason for half of the party at Stu's house to leave. 
Right. And by saying, we just found the principal dead. And half of the party was like, no, no, I can't believe it. And left. They were like, oh, it worked out perfectly. <laughs> but that is the only reason that he dies. Yeah, right. The film blends horror uh, and comedy very well, I think. It's, um, it's very self-aware and makes fun of itself and other horror films as it goes while still being a horror film. Um, I think it's a good blend. I think that's probably the secret of its success in mm -hmm. a way. Mm -hmm. uh, it was one of the first films to kind of to do that, which it's kind of become a you know uh, postmodern horror films they call them now, where the, the the characters in the film are aware that they're in a film. I think that's this is the first one to do that. Looking at the scores on this, uh, I'm surprised at how low they are. They're not that low, but they are surprisingly low to me. Yeah, for what is such an iconic piece of cinema. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess iconic doesn't necessarily mean good, but I think this is a good film. I think this is a very good horror film. No, and it's become kind of a cult classic. Yeah, and I wonder if it's, I mean, because it, it is somewhat derivative, but that was the point. So maybe that's why people are being a bit harsh on it. I don't know. It is, but, but it does point that out. Yeah, so it's got a 7.2 on IMDb, 65% on Metacritic, and a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. And again, they're not bad. It's just it's not as high as I would have expected mm -hmm. for a film that uh, yeah, reinvigorated the whole genre. You'd think it'd give it a higher score than that. <laughs> yeah. The film is inspired by kind of real life events. Kevin Williamson, who was in desperate need of money and uh, <laughs> trying to come up with a screenplay, was houseminding for a friend one night and watching a story on the Gainesville Ripper. So this is a man in Florida who, over the course of just a weekend, I believe, killed yeah. five people in their dorm rooms. Mm. It was a very small town, like a small college town where, you know, people didn't expect this to happen. So it made everybody kind of paranoid. Yeah, the, the murders were very gruesome mm -hmm. and uh, they were all committed with a, with a knife similar to, to the film Scream where he, he just used a, um, like a military knife. So while watching the documentary on the Gainesville Ripper, Williamson was kind of freaking himself out and then <laughs> was hearing noises in the house and kind of went to investigate and noticed that there was a window opened that he hadn't noticed was open before. So he freaked out and he called his friend and they got into a discussion about what their favorite scary movies are and <laughs> stuff like that. And that kind of inspired the whole opening scene with mm. um, the... The phone call what's your favorite scary movie and yeah how he kind of quizzes her on that to let her get a chance to to live yeah it's all part of the game yeah so williamson went and wrote the introduction and then kind of left it aside <laughs> and uh, went on to write something else and then came back to it when he really needed money and wrote the entire screenplay for scream in three days <laughs> and then was told by his agent no one's gonna buy this <laughs> yeah he was really inspired by old horror movies. Halloween is one of his favorites. Billy Loomis was named after the Loomises in Psycho. Yeah. There is a scene at the beginning when um, when Casey's parents find her and they say, run next door to, I think it's the Mackenzies, which is a line from Halloween. There are a lot oh, of right. references to other movies in this. So There's actually footage from Halloween in it as well. Yeah, the, yeah that's, that's right. What During the party, the party scene, party. They're, watching, they're watching that. Yeah. They reference... A lot of things. There's um, Nightmare on Elm Street, actually. They reference when... Uh, oh, they're talking about sequels. When the killer is talking to Casey, uh, Drew Barrymore, about sequels, and she says something like, no, sequels are never good, especially the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, mm -hmm. which is kind of a 
a little joke, like a little in-joke, because Wes Craven directed the first one, but mm-hmm. didn't direct any of the sequels and thought they were all shit. He, he came back and did um, The New Nightmare, which was arguably, and in my opinion, uh, the next good one. Mm-hmm. So... He, he, they they had all this shitty sequels, and then he came back and did the where the Wes Craven's new nightmare, which was the the one that made Freddy scary again. Right. Well, they reference Friday the Thirteenth, uh, prom night when a stranger calls, Harry. Yeah. Everything is in there. <laughs> Everything gets a mention. It's great. It's really cool to see characters in this universe actually know about horror movies. Usually. Right. Like, usually when you watch, say, a zombie film or something like that, no one in it has ever heard of zombies. Exactly right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- less now. These days people know, and it's kind of self-referential. Mm-hmm. But um, but at the time, that, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. So originally, the film was called Scary Moody. <laughs> um, but it was changed to Scream after it was bought by Miramax and the Weinstein Brothers. And one of the brothers was listening to a Michael Jackson song called Scream and thought, this would be a great name for a film. We're changing it. <laughs> and Scary Movie went on to be that spoof movie that everybody knows yeah. and loves. <laughs> loves. Yeah, I know of it. <laughs> I'm familiar with it. <laughs> it works better as a, as a spoof, I think, Scary Movie. Yeah. Scream is a great name. Yep. When they bought the script from Williamson, they told him it was too gory and they had him remove... Uh, a lot of, you know, scenes or, or references to to the gore, so that it would kind of, I guess, be a bit more PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they went through a bunch of directors and eventually Wes Craven was hired, he uh, he said, "Well, let's put all that back in then, because <laughs> uh, this is a horror film." And yeah. he just added all the gore back. I'm glad they did because I can't imagine this without that. Like, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't really yeah, be a horror movie at all. I don't feel like there was that much. No, there's a lot of blood, and it gets quite. Um, it is quite intense at the end, towards the end. Mm-hmm. With there's there's a lot of blood and there's a lot of violence, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, but it, I mean, it's kind of essential. It's it's how the film works, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that it would be the same if it was, you know, one of those PG thirteen ones. They have their place. But- I also like that the mask itself wasn't very scary. <laughs> I know. It's just that it, it does a good job of hiding the figure behind it. Um, Because it's the mask in the big cloak. So you can't tell body shape. You can't tell anything. I think that was really effective because it's not really scary. It's just scary because you don't know who's behind it. And Um, you know that the person's probably going to stab you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And in that universe, it was um, very easy to get. Hmm. So after the first killings happened, everybody was wearing it around school, joking around. So who's like, who is really the killer? Yeah. Well, they just found it by accident while looking for a house to shoot in, right? Yeah. And then when they brought it on set, the Weinsteins were like, absolutely not. I will shut down production. That looks ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but when Craven filmed the first, the opening scene with it and they saw that, they were like, no, nah, yeah, okay, you're right. It works. It works. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the uh, the voice of Ghostface is a gentleman by the name of Roger L. Jackson, who, uh, who you might know from the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> Yeah, he's Mojo Jojo. <laughs> uh, he was the voice in all four films, um, but the cast never got to meet him because they were worried that once they met him, um, he wouldn't be as scary because he doesn't seem like a very scary guy. Right, uh, they had well, him run through scenes and stuff with everybody, but just via phone. Yeah, 
because his voice is very creepy. Mm. Yeah, but he he just seems like a nice little nice nice guy. So <laughs> Matthew Lillard, who is one of the killers, never mm. actually donned the the mask. Right. I think there was only one or two scenes where Ski Ulrich was wearing it. Hmm. Uh, Matthew Lillard never did. There was one scene where Wes Craven himself wore it. Yeah. But most of the time it was just a stuntman. Yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah, in the opening sequence, uh, there was one shot of Ghostface when Casey hits him and that's Wes Craven. And that's not his only cameo either. He <laughs> he plays a janitor in uh, just a quick little shot where he's dressed like Freddy Krueger. Yeah, and he, the Henry Winkler... The principal opens up the door and says, he says something like, you little shitheads. Yeah. And then, um, what, yeah. me? He says, what, me? And he goes, oh, sorry, not you, Fred. And then it's, yeah, where's Craven dressed as Freddy Krueger mopping the floor? <laughs> <laughs> There's some lines in this that just really stand out. Mm. And um, I found out that a lot of them, especially Matthew Lillard's lines, are all ad-libbed. Oh, right. There's um there's the part where um he gets the phone dropped on him and he's like, you just dropped the phone on me, you dick. <laughs> yes, right. And uh, also his line when he's like, "Did you really call the police? My mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me." <laughs> well, that's, he lived that. Yeah. No, that's a great. That's like that's a great moment. I know, and they all they all made Wes Craven laugh, so he kept them in. <laughs> yeah, because it all ties into what we talked about. How they all, they they know about horror films, and I think Stu in particular thinks he's in one. Yeah. He thinks it's a movie, so he doesn't seem to understand like his characters. Just kind of like his motivation is non-existent. He just thinks he's in a horror film, you know? Right. Because the first introduction with all of like all of the main characters besides Casey, Drew Barrymore, um, mm. they're all good friends and they're all sitting around talking about the murder the night before of Casey and right. how it would go down in a horror movie because they're all yeah. very big horror movie fans. So it like the movie starts out, it introduces them as if like they know what's going to happen. Yeah, right. They can predict because it's going to follow the, the tropes. That's right. Yeah. So Randy in particular has, has a series of rules that, mm -hmm. the, uh, that the horror film must follow. And uh, he seems to think that that's, that's how he's going to stay safe. <laughs> so um, that's right. Do you, want to talk, do you want to talk us through the rules? Sure. The scene where he gives these rules is terrific because they're watching Halloween and somebody says they don't know the rules. And he's like, what? You don't know the <laughs> rules? And he stands up and goes through them. And as he's going through them in other parts of the house, people are kind of enacting them. Yeah, breaking them. <laughs> yeah, breaking them. So the number one rule, you can never have sex. <laughs> yep, as soon as that happens, you die. Everybody who has sex in a horror film in the 80s dies. Yep. Number two rule, you can never drink or do drugs. <laughs> it is sinful and it is an extension of the first rule. Because mm -hmm. again, any 80s horror film, mm -hmm. whoever it is goes off to have a drink or do drugs, they will die now. Number three, never ever under any circumstance <laughs> say, I'll be right back. <laughs> because you won't be right back. No, man, we say that all the time, <laughs> my friends and I. He does go on uh, later to add another, mm -hmm. which is the dead killer will always come back to life for one last scare. <laughs> and he does. Yeah, this movie <laughs> follows the rules pretty well. Yeah, well, it does, but it doesn't. It subverts them somewhat as well, because mm -hmm. Sydney does have sex, but doesn't die. Right. They're not set in stone, and it's, it's all a bit of fun. They do. They make so many references, though, to, um, to being in the film. Like, there is a, a point where Sydney says she gets a phone call. And they ask her, 
do you like scary movies? And she said, what's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalks some big-breasted girl who can't act <laughs> and is always running up the stairs when she should be running out the front door. And then in the next <laughs> scene, the killer goes for her and she can't get the front door open, so she runs up the stairs. <laughs> yeah. I love that, actually. It's really yeah, clever. Yeah. And um, when they're talking about if if they would ever make a movie about the events of what happened, and she says she would like to be cast as Meg Ryan, but she would probably end up with somebody like a Tori Spelling, who goes on to play her in the in-film film, Stab. Yeah. So in the sequels, some they've made a film about the, the events in the first film called Stab, starring Tori Spelling. <laughs> yeah. It gets a little bit messy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In later uh, films. Yeah, well, in a good way, I think. I think it's funny. Yeah. The killers in this film, one of the main, I guess things that Craven wanted to bring to it was kind of a new type of killer, like one without necessarily a, a, conv a convincing motive. That was Williamson, actually. He thought it would be scarier without a motive. Right. But he did have conflicting ideas about that because he did want them to have some kind of motive. Mm. So what he did was make two killers and split that between them. Yeah, because Billy does say that he doesn't, have a motive and he doesn't need one because um it's it's the 90s or randy says it's the millennium motives are incidental mm -hmm. but he does actually have one down at the heart of it and i think really he's he's just trying to trying to be cool and he does have a motive he wants to kill sydney because he's mad at sydney's mother it's a long con man because he, <laughs> he dated her for what two years i think yeah yeah and killed her mother in the meantime yeah a year ago yeah so yeah. Yeah, Stu, on the other hand, as we've discussed, doesn't seem to have a motive beyond he he thinks he's a killer in a horror film. Mm -hmm. He just commits to it. <laughs> they do make reference to things that he does, like he kills his girlfriend Tatum, and there's no yes. reason why he should because they're getting along fine. Yeah. And then um, Randy at some point says, "There's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. It's the beauty of it, simplicity." <laughs> if it gets too complicated, you lose your target audience. I, I'm watching it this time. I did find the motive to be a little weak. Yeah. Especially considering the flimsy. number of... Yeah. Especially because there are a few incidental characters who die that's got nothing to do with it. But, right. you know, whatever. It's Scream. Who cares? Yeah. It's just a slasher movie. Yeah. I noticed this, this viewing because it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. And I watched it a mm. lot when it came out when I... I was 10 years old when it came out. 11 years mm -hmm. old. It felt very small to me this time. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of like uh, sets or yeah, but uh, locations. I, as a kid, I remember this being like a huge universe. And maybe that's <laughs> sure. just with the other movies compounding onto the first one. Yeah, because well, in the second one, they're at college. And then after that, they're at, it's, at a, it's all at a film set studio. And, yeah, right. And that, but so. I, I didn't remember how small this one was. There are really only mm. three three or four sets like it's in the house it's at the high school and then it's at Stu's house and that's it and like the whole scene at Stu's house goes for I think 45 minutes or something like that yeah it doesn't feel like that either though no no it doesn't and when it came up in the film it's like wow are we here already yeah and then it just kind of rips through because it's just so full-on after that it's just non kind of non-stop yeah so that scene actually took like weeks I think it was something like three weeks to film just that one scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it inspired all the cast to make I Survived Scene 118 t-shirts afterwards. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So this uh, this film actually terrified 
quite a lot of people in real life. It made people legitimately concerned about about killers and, and slashes and, and things. Yeah, it tripled the use of caller ID, which was a, a new thing at the time. Mm. Yeah, it actually brought technology kind of into horror films in a cool way because Sydney uses the computer to call the police at one point yeah. and, um, and everyone's got like cell phones. and. See, I think it was it's a good era because not everyone had cell phones. If everyone right, did, right. it would be a lot different, especially with smartphones now. But in this film, it's only like a couple of people that have them. and That's true, I guess, yeah. Because yeah. one of the issues they have in horror films these days is when you want to isolate somebody, everybody's got a cell phone now. Yeah, you have to like, first come up with a way to cut them off yeah, of the internet. They always have bullshit reasons why someone doesn't have their phone with them. Mm. <laughs> or doesn't use it. But there were consequences yeah. to this film as well. I mean, like it made people bulk up their safety. Yes. But it did inspire some people to kill. It did. I, I mean... These people clearly were unstable beforehand, but I think it's undeniable in, in a few of these cases that they were definitely directly inspired by the film, which is mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. What do you do about that? Is the film responsible at all? You know, is Kevin Williamson or Wes Craven responsible? I don't think so. Well, Billy Loomis says in the film, yeah. movies don't create psychos. They just make psychos more creative. Yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe they predicted this. <laughs> Well, they, they, they did, I guess, because the sequel, which came out not that long after, a year or two afterwards. No, and they had already um, written uh, like a, a little treatment for the sequel. The sequel was about copycat killers mm-hmm. who, uh, who when, as we mentioned, when Stab, the film inside the film <laughs> that comes out about the first film, uh, hopefully you could follow that. <laughs> um, <laughs> when that comes out, there are a bunch of copycat killers in, in the real world. Uh, and after Scream came out, uh, and its sequels, there were in the real world where we live some copycats yeah. or influenced events. So one case, uh, which took place in 1999, I believe. Which is three years UK, after the film came out. Three, uh, Two kids, Daniel Gill, who was 14, and Robert Fuller, 15, in the UK, stabbed a friend of theirs, a 13-year-old, uh, and left him for dead after they had just watched Scream uh, a couple of hours before. Apparently not even the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, they didn't even finish the movie. Scene. Yeah, it's a weird situation where apparently they were with some guy who's apparently a drug dealer who was making them watch it. And the, they said that he had undue influence over them or something. But uh, the victim was stabbed 18 times and left um, outside of the, the town. But he was found, luckily, 40 hours later uh, by a man who was out walking his dog. And, and luckily survived and was able to testify in court. Um, the kids were sentenced to six years in prison, uh, which is not that much, but they are But they're they are minors. Kids. Yeah, but uh, in an unusual situation, the judge released their names to the public because he said he feels like they are a danger. So um, Yeah, I mean, so- even for juveniles, I, I think they should be released. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are, oh, there are certainly cases where they shouldn't be. I think the, the victim, I don't think, was named. I didn't see his name. Well, that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. He but didn't the, do but anything. These two, I think the judge, yeah, the judge said he was worried that these two would, um, yeah. you know, would, would get at it again. So, yeah, so that one apparently directly influenced um, by, by Scream. Mm. Also in 1999, but in the US, Marco Padilla, 17 years old, and his cousin Samuel Ramirez, 15, murdered Mario's mother. So that they could raise enough money, I guess they were going to steal it from her, 
to reenact the entire plot of Scream and Scream 2. That is amazing. Uh, <laughs> they confessed to the police uh, and in, in court, I think as well, they, they admitted that they were planning to buy uh, costumes, ghost face costumes mm -hmm. uh, and electronic voice boxes so that they could call people up like uh, they did in the film. And apparently they were going to defend themselves in court once they were captured because they, they, I mean, they assumed that they would get captured eventually. They were going to use the plot of Primal Fear as their defense. Now, spoilers, if you haven't seen Primal Fear, go watch it. It's a great film. Uh, in Primal Fear, starring Edward Norton, um, Ed Norton mur commits a murder and then fakes insanity uh, to get away with it. And at the end, you find out that he... Not even not insanity. Doesn't he fake, like... Multiple personalities. Yeah, multiple personalities. Yeah, he fakes... Uh, he, he, he has a, a kind of... Um, passive personality and an aggressive personality and he he kind of tricks everyone into thinking that the um the passive personality is the 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 real one when actually he's just the the killer kind of thing i think it's incredible that they had this planned out even that <laughs> far not even that they um they knew drew barrymore was was the person killed in the first mm -hmm. scene of the first film and from the court documents they admitted that they had picked out a classmate of theirs uh, who they didn't know, but who resembled Drew Barrymore wow. to be one of the victims that they were going to kill once they had the money. Right. Yeah. And however, the judge said that the film and the uh, and its sequel, Scream 1 and 2, were not to be mentioned during the proceedings uh, and that no evidence relating to the films was allowed at the trial because he didn't think that the films themselves were responsible. Well, no. I mean, how can you hold them responsible? Yeah, see, I do agree. I, and it, it's one of those things where it's like clearly these kids were unstable anyway, the fact that they were willing to do this at all. Right. And then, but, but then you say, well, if they hadn't seen the film, would they have thought of it? You know? But they would have just, just thought of something else, I'm sure. Like, oh, you don't just probably. see a film and think, oh, hey, I want to do that. <laughs> no, probably not. Well, sometimes. You know. <laughs> not, not murder. <laughs> not, no, no, not murder. Not in my Unless case Unless anyway, you already <laughs> had that in mind. Yeah, I think you have to have been capable of it already. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they've uh, obviously they were they were convicted and uh, and the yeah sadly the mother did die uh, of her wounds. She managed to call nine one one, but it was too late. There were a couple more cases that were inspired by this film. Mm -hmm. um, sometime around two thousand and one, uh, there was a twenty four year old Belgian man named Jaredin Terry mm -hmm. uh, who killed his own neighbor, fifteen year old Alison Cambier. Mm. This is a weird story because it was premeditated. He had the ghost face mask, the the whole outfit and the knife mm. and was ready to kill her, but yeah. was also friends with her. Uh, and there is a, you know, a nine year age difference between them. So I don't know what, why they were hanging out with each other. Yeah. But he had her to his house to exchange videotapes or something like that and then made some advances towards her, which she denied. Yeah. And he excused himself, put on the costume, and then came back and stabbed her. Stabbed her uh, 30 times <laughs> with two kitchen knives. Yeah. There's an interesting um, quote in the article that we, we have in here for this one where the judge said that um, Scream, the iconic cult horror film, is a very good source to learn how to kill someone. I thought it was a weird quote because it's like, I mean, it doesn't really teach you how to kill someone no it doesn't and i mean i mean sure i mean he stabs people but i mean that's yeah but you could have figured really. that out yeah people i think most people know that <laughs> and i mean do you need a source on how to kill someone i think you need a source on how to get away with it 
Yeah, which this they don't do in this. No. no. <laughs> so, yeah. And actually, I think um, generally speaking, they would have caught them uh, in, in this because they they don't do a very good job of of hiding evidence no, or anything not like at that. Because I mean, that's not the point. <laughs> uh, but they did get away with it a year before, so who knows? <laughs> True, but then you know, it seems like the police are a bit incompetent in this. Yeah, and this was. I mean, this was in '96, so DNA testing wasn't as as prevalent yeah. as it is now. Yeah, true. Which amazes true. me that it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah, I often look back on older horror films when they're they're like they can check the blood type, but that's all. Yeah, and I'm like, oh man, that's, <laughs> that's so weird. Well, even now, I'm not sure it's um as it's not as um airtight as they have you believe in films. Yeah, yeah, because you can tell DNA types, but it doesn't it doesn't say mm. like this was Matthew Ham. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> There's another one that actually happened 10 years after the film. Mm. Um, in 2006 in Idaho, friends Brian Lee Draper and Tori Michael Adamsik killed their friend Cassie Jo Stoddart. Mm. Cassie was house-sitting for her aunt, and her boyfriend was over. Brian and Tori came over to watch movies with her, with the two of them, mm. but then decided they'd rather go to the movies. And left Casey and Matt alone in the house. Right. During the time they were gone, the power to the house got cut and, uh, you know, like some, a few freaky things happened, but it had all been resolved by the time Matt got picked up and went home. Right. And then Brian and Tori showed up, never having been to the movies, but having been outside stalking the two of them, Cassie and Matt. Right. They cut the power again and then went in the house and stabbed Cassie to death 29 times. Yeah, Tori cited Scream as an influence yeah, in right. his trial. Well, if they're saying it was an influence, you know, I believe him, but I don't know that it's, you know, responsible. <laughs> no, I, I mean, like I said, I, I don't think you can hold a film responsible for anything that people do mm. based on it. I was once myself inspired to uh, buy Scream uh, when I lived with a friend of mine. I have a screen mask in the house. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not in the house now, but um, <laughs> I own one, as you've seen, I'm sure. And one evening when I lived with a friend of mine, I went out the back with the mask and a knife from the kitchen and switched the power off to the apartment. Oh, man. Uh, and waited out there for my housemate to come out. You know, it was going to be a hilarious prank, except I didn't realize that the, the switch turned the power off to all of the apartments <laughs> in the block. And so as I was waiting with, you know, with the knife up um, outside the back door of our apartment, uh, a guy, Stu, from upstairs <laughs> came around the corner to see what was going on with the power <laughs> and shit himself. <laughs> started screaming and I had to pull the mask off. I'm like, no, Stu, 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 it's just a hilarious prank. No, I'm no, no, I'm seriously you. not going to kill anyone. It's fine. Yeah, I, I was I, I was very apologetic. Uh, <laughs> but and, and my housemate who had figured out what was going on because I often tried to scare him with the mask also thought it was hilarious. <laughs> So Stu's fine. Nobody was injured, but I was influenced <laughs> by Scream. <laughs> as long as you didn't kill anybody. No, of course not. So that's about all we have for you guys today on Scream. Mm. Um, please, if you like the show, go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Um, mm -hmm. It's really, really helpful, and we put a lot of effort into these. Yeah. So it would be a great help if you guys could do that for us and tell your friends about the show, too. Mm. That's yeah, kind of how we get new listeners. So Yeah, and head over to multiplenerdgasm.com. Uh, check out some of our other shows. Uh, get in touch with us via email uh, or on Twitter. 
uh, Facebook, all the links are over on the website, multiplenerdgasm.com, or you can head to necronomenom.com if you just want episodes of this show. Uh, we've got some homework for the listeners this week again, don't we? Yeah. We want to know, what's your favorite scary movie? Necronomenom at multiplenerdgasm.com. <laughs> <laughs>